Well, praise the Lord. He alone is worthy. Absolutely. Merry Christmas to everybody who's joined us tonight. Uh, I was telling the first service, uh, I love Christmas. I am thrilled about, I like all things Christmas. I like the movies. I like the lights. I like all the presents. I like, especially like the cookies, right? So those of you who uh, didn't quite get the memo yet, don't forget, we're having a little kind of cookie fellowship hangout right after this service is done back in our chapel back there. So uh, praise the Lord. We get to eat some cookies together tonight. Um, but, you know, I really do uh, love Christmas Eve services uh, here uh, at our church. I, I love them. You Really, ever since I've been a kid, I've liked them. And uh, today we got to celebrate two baptisms in our first service. And uh, to see people take that step of faith, to go public with their faith uh, on Christmas Eve, such a great memory, such a great night together. So I am glad to be here with you uh, this evening. Um, I know that many of you who are here tonight would call UBC your church home. This is where you fellowship. UBC is your church. But I know that there are plenty of you here tonight who you would say, you know, I'm just here as a guest. I came with a family member. I came with a friend. I came with a coworker. Uh, I just want to say we're so glad that you're here. We're thankful for every guest that's here. We're also especially thankful for the elementary age kiddos that have joined us in big church, right, on a Sunday. That doesn't always happen, but we're so glad for every guest that's here. Church family, if you're a regular UBC family, let's put our hands together and thank the Lord for our guests that joined us tonight. We're so thankful. Um, Leading up to today, uh, our church has been in a sermon series that has been titled The Wonders of His Love. And in this sermon series, we've been talking about these, um, these aspects of God's love that really produce a sense of wonder in our hearts, where we, we see this aspect of God's love and we, we stand in awe. We are amazed. Uh, in the preceding weeks to today, we've talked about the inherent love of God, where um, it's, you know, the scripture says that God is love. So love isn't just what he does, it's who he is. Um, and that we're amazed by that. Uh, we talked about how God has predetermined love, where the scripture says that in love, he chose his people to be saved and to be in Christ before the foundations of the world. So if you have come to know Christ and his love, then God chose you to be in his love before there was a you. And we praise the Lord for that. Um, we talked last Sunday about God's unbreakable love and that, you know, those who he saves, he will keep. Nothing can separate us from his love. Um, and uh, what a wonderful blessing that we are safe and secure in the love of our Savior. That's what we've talked about in the previous weeks. Tonight, I want to talk to you about God's life-giving love. God's life-giving love. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we are going to see this aspect of God's love by looking at the most popular verse in the Bible, right? We're going to look at John chapter 3, verse 16. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you now to take it out and to turn there to John three sixteen. Um, that's where I'll be preaching from. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use your cell phone or your, your Bible app or whatever you use. And if you don't have one of those, uh, we're going to put it up on the screen behind us here in just a minute. But here's the thing about John three sixteen: Like, you don't have to be at church. You don't have to be at a religious event or a Bible study or anything like that to become familiar with the phrase John three sixteen because we see it all over the place, right? So if you're a football fan and you watch football on TV, then you've probably seen this uh, first scene. You have seen John three sixteen behind the goalposts, right? Uh, if you were following college football um, several years ago when Tim Tebow was playing for the Florida Gators, like you remember probably the eye black underneath Tim Tebow's eyes where he would write the words John three sixteen. Now look, that's for the football folks. Some of you are like, I don't care one bit about football. You're probably into shopping, okay? So shopping, if you've ever shopped at Forever 21, then you would know that on the Forever 21 bags, they have John 3.16 printed on the bottom of their bags. 
Now, look, maybe you're not a football person. Maybe you're not a shopper, but uh, it's very likely that you like cheeseburgers. And so if you ever go out west uh, and you go to In-N-Out Burger, which is a great burger joint out west, you'll see that on their cups and on their wrappers that they even print scripture verses like John 3.16 on uh, those types of things. We see John 3.16 all over the place. And that's the verse that I'll be preaching on tonight. Some of you are probably very familiar with it. Others of you may not know at all what this verse says, but that's what we're going to be focusing on tonight. Um, Here's how I want to work through tonight's message. Uh, In just a moment, I'm going to read this verse out loud for us. After that, I'm going to preach from John 3.16 about four aspects of God's life-giving love. I want us to see first that it exists, second, how it was shown, third, why it's needed, and fourth, who it's for. And then I'm going to close with a time of prayer, giving you an opportunity to respond and really consider where you fall, um, where your life is, what your status is when it comes to receiving God's life-giving love. And then of course, we'll wrap up our service tonight with our tradition of um, our lighting candles together. So we're excited about that. And uh, today we are going to focus on John 3.16. So let me read this one Important verse of scripture. Some people have called it the whole Bible summarized. John 3.16, which says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Thanks be to God for his good and perfect word. And I'm excited to get into it and study it and look at it together with you this evening. So um, this verse speaks very clearly about God's life-giving love. The first thing that I want you to see tonight is that God's life-giving love exists. All right, I want you to see that his life-giving love exists. John 3.16 starts out by saying, for God so loved the world. Now this verse has an important presupposition, uh, an assumption underneath it that we all kind of have to get on the same page about right now. Um, This verse assumes that you believe that God is real. God so loved the world. It assumes that the readers believe that God is real. Now, I know that most of you who came here tonight, uh, you believe that God is real. It's probably why you came to a Christmas Eve service. It's probably why you cherish and treasure things like this. But there may be some of you in the room tonight who maybe you don't believe God is real, or maybe you find yourself doubting or wondering if God is real. Um, If that's you tonight, first of all, the first thing I want to say to you is I'm really glad that you're here because I have been in your shoes. There was a season in my life where I went through very serious struggles and doubts about whether or not that God was even real. And as I went through that whole time in my life, seeking the truth about whether or not God is real, the Lord gave me some answers to my questions that really gave me a great confidence in why I could believe that he was real. Two, Two of the reasons for belief in God that really stood out to me are these. The first one is what's called the cosmological reason for God, which is a big word saying like, hey, look, we can look at the cosmos. We can look at the world that God made and we can see that there is an intentional design to the way that this complex world works. Um, And things that are intricately designed necessitate that there was a designer. We all know that. We know that if something is intricately designed, it would be absurd to believe that there wasn't a designer. So for instance, if I took my iPhone and I just kind of started taking it apart piece by piece and just setting it here uh, on this platform and just left it here piece by piece. And then I took all those pieces and just set them in a box somewhere. We would know that that iPhone would never just somehow assemble itself together. Even if we 
put some gases in there and lit a spark and suddenly there was a big bang. We would know that something as complex as an iPhone would not just put itself together. We could try it a billion times. It would never just put itself together. Guys, the world is infinitely more complex than an iPhone and it necessitates a belief that someone has designed it uh, to be the way that it is that someone has ordered it the way that it works. I think that's one really good reason to believe that God exists, that there is a design to the cosmos. The second is, uh, is because of the morality reason. In other words, everybody in this room probably believes in right and wrong. You believe in such thing as, as good and you believe in evil. And when, when we look at the, the reality that we would say that good and evil exists, what that means is that Somewhere in our minds, someone has set a standard that certain things are good and certain things are evil. There's some sort of a standard that has been set. Now, we all know that certain things are evil. We would all look at the events of 9-11 or Hitler and the, the events of World War II and those types of things, and we would say those things are evil. But it's not just extreme acts like that. It's, it's that we also have something inside of our own consciences that kind of starts to bother us when we take an action that we know is wrong. If, if we steal or if we lie or if we commit adultery or if we commit murder, those types of things, there's something inside of us that says whether they're an extreme action or a small action, our conscience makes us feel bad about it. Now, why would we feel bad about something if there was no ultimate standard of right and wrong? If everything is just survival of the fittest or might makes right. And you know, if it's, that's the way it is, then why would we ever feel bad about anything? Well, we have a sense of things being right and wrong in our hearts. And that's because there is an ultimate standard of rightness and wrongness. And that standard comes from God. Now, those are two good reasons I would say that give you, um, like I said, good reason to believe in God. Uh, I would say that you can consider those on your own. If you have questions about those that you'd like to talk about, there's more reasons that should cause you to believe in God. But those are at least a couple that I hope help you Believe first that God is real. Now, let's assume that I'm right. Let's assume for a minute that God is, uh, truly exists and that he made this world that we live in. Now, the fact that there's a God who made the world is amazing enough in and of itself, but here's what's even more amazing. It's what John 3:16 says. It says that God so loved the world. And the reason why that is so amazing that God would love this world is because oftentimes there are some pretty unlovely things in this world. Um, you know, globally, we see war going on around us right now, right? What do we see with Palestine, Israel? What do we see with Russia, Ukraine? Unlovely things. When we look on a national level and we see the political hatred, when we see the racial strife, when we see the sexual deviance in our world, you know, in our, national, in our nation, these are, are issues that are very unlovely. On a local level, I mean, we see terrible acts that happen on a local level, like we saw at Walmart just a couple weeks ago. And, and it's not just kind of out there somewhere. I think all of us can look inside of our own hearts and inside of our own lives and say, you know what? Like, there are things I've done that I regret. There are things that I've done this past week that I feel guilty about. Things where I've contributed to the unloveliness that can characterize this world. And yet, this world being an unlovely place full of unlovely people Yet the Bible says God loves this world. Why would God love this world? Why would God 
love the unlovely people in this world. You know, God doesn't love us because we are so lovely. God doesn't love us because we have somehow become so lovable. God loves us because it's in his nature to love. And that's why we started where we started in the sermon series four weeks ago, that God has inherent love. It's in his nature to love. Now, you may wonder, okay, how do we really know? Like, maybe you'll assume, yeah, God is there and, he, and maybe he's loving, but how do we have proof that God loves this unlovely world? That's a, a legitimate question and it deserves an answer. So when it comes to God's life-giving love, let's see now, not just that it exists, let's now talk about how it was shown. Let's talk about how it was shown. How did God show his love for this unlovely world? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? This, this verse shows us that God's love goes uh, so far beyond feelings. It's not just uh, some affections in his heart. It's actually actions that he took. And the specific action that he took out of love for the world is the choice that he made to give his son to the world. Guys, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about Christ Jesus, the Son of God, coming into the world. Um, how many of you guys like Charlie Brown Christmas? Anybody? Hands up. Don't be shy. Okay, I like it. All of you who didn't raise your hand, you need to go home tonight, watch it, and come back next year and raise your hand. All right, it is the best of the Christmas movies. Now, at the end of Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown gets real exasperated, you know, and he's like, can anyone just tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus, of course, says, I can tell you, Charlie Brown. And he, you know, starts to uh, quote the Bible from Luke chapter two. And he starts to read the sections of scripture that Melissa read for us earlier, which say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And he continues to read from Luke chapter two. And then he looks and he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And I got to say, guys, Linus got it right. Charlie Brown Christmas has some good theology, right? Um, Christmas is not about the lights and the glitz and the glam and the gifts. And Christmas is not about the spirit of Christmas and the festivities. Christmas is not even all about family. Christmas is about Christ coming into the world, the son of God. Here's what I mean. Um, if you had all those special things like the, the cookies and the lights and the presents and, and, uh, and the good spirit of generosity around Christmas and you even had your family together, but you don't have Christ, you don't have the real meaning of Christmas. And on the flip side of that, like you could have zero family, you could be on your own, you could have no presents under the tree, you could have no lights, you could have none of the blessings that we experience here in American culture, but if you have Christ, you have the meaning of Christmas. And it can be the satisfying part of your heart to know that you have Christ. Now, here's the thing. Christmas is all about God giving Christ, his son, into the world. But here's the thing you have to understand. God didn't just send Jesus to be born in a manger. God didn't send Jesus just so we have this nice little story about shepherds in the field and angels and lights and the son of God being born. You know, Christmas isn't just about God sending Jesus to be born in a manger. Christmas is about God sending his son Jesus to grow up and die on a cross. 
God sent his son and his son was born to die. Jesus came to give his life. And when it comes to this, here's what I want you to understand. God could not have given us a more costly gift. God gave us his only son. His only son gave us his life. He died on the cross. There is not a more costly gift. Earlier this past year, uh, my oldest daughter and I um, were doing one of her homework assignments together. And uh, this particular assignment, she had to do this little budgeting project. And part of the project there was to figure out, she had to figure out how much it cost for her to live in our family. Okay? And so we got together and she wrote out her list of all the things she knew that it costs, you know, for her to live in our family. And I had my list and we went down line by line, expense by expense for my 16 year old daughter. Right. And at the end of it, she looks up at me with this like really sad face. She says, dad, I'm sorry. I cost a lot. <laughs> right? And I'm like, you have no idea, right? You have no idea. All right. But here, here's the truth. Okay. Here's the truth. For you and I to be in God's family, it cost him a lot. It cost God the price of his son. It cost Jesus Christ the price of his life. There isn't a more costly gift that he could give when God chose to love us with a life-giving love. Now, the truth is that, again, most people might say they believe in God. They might even say they believe in a God that loves the world. But when we talk about God sending his son to die, they just might not understand that, right? Most people might be like, why do you Christians talk so much about God sending his son to die? Why do you care so much about a cross? Why do you care so much about Jesus dying? Like, that is a question that we need to be ready to answer. And guys, John 3, 16 gives us the answer, right? So we've talked about that God's life living love exists. We've talked about how God's life-giving love was shown. Now let's talk about why we need it. Why did we need Jesus to come and not just be born in a manger, but to die on a cross? Here's what it says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know why we need God's love this love that would be so sacrificial that he would send and give his only son. You know why we need that love? It's because we are all perishing in our sin. The scripture says we are perishing, but we don't have to perish, but we are perishing. Now, perishing is not a fashionable term. A lot of people don't like to talk about it. I know it's not popular for pastors to get up these days and talk about perishing, all right? I know you probably didn't come to the Christmas Eve service thinking about, hey, we're going to talk about perishing. But here's the thing. If you don't understand what it means to perish, you will never cherish the gift of Christ. Okay? The scripture talks about how we in our sins are, are perishing. What that means is that we're, we're, we are doomed to die. We are doomed to be under the, the condemnation of God for our sin. Yes, the Bible talks about God's love in heaven, but it also talks about God's judgment in hell. Um, we're all one day going to die. We're going to stand before the Lord in judgment. We're going to have to give an account to him for our lives. And those whose sins are not forgiven, we are going to be condemned to perish in hell forever apart from God. 
Because see, God is holy and he's perfect and righteous in every way. And mankind is sinful and broken. And our, our sin creates this barrier between us and God. So if we want this barrier to be removed so that we can come into a, a good relationship with God, what that means is that barrier of sin, that needs to be forgiven. Well, how does mankind's sin get forgiven? How does your sin get forgiven? How does my sin get forgiven? The scripture says that our sins are forgiven by believing in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again. See, sin, according to God's word, has a penalty. The wages of sin is death. That means that the, the rightful payment for sin is death and separation from God. And because God is fully just and fully righteous, that penalty for sin must be paid and it must be paid in full. But because God is also fully merciful, God sent Jesus to pay the penalty of sin for you. To pay the penalty of sin on your behalf. Do you understand this evening that you are a sinner? I want everybody to really think about that. Do you really understand this evening that you are a sinner? Because I'm concerned that we look around and we say, oh, sin is just some problem out there. Uh, there's sinful nations. Uh, we see sinful people on the news. We see extreme acts that other people do. And you're like, okay, we see the sin in other people, but have you really seen the sin in yourself? Do you see yourself as a sinner? Maybe you're not convinced that you're a sinner. Let me make it very simple for you. God has given us 10 commandments. We are all probably familiar with 10 commandments. Um, let's just list a few of them and see that we've all, we've all broken them, right? One of the 10 commandments says, you should not bear false witness, right? You shouldn't lie. Anybody in this room, I wonder how many of us have lied either to someone or about someone. The scripture uh, tells us that one of the 10 commandments is that we shouldn't covet the things that our neighbors have. How many of us have ever looked at the things that our neighbors had and said, you know what? I want to do that. I want to have that. I deserve that. Hey, we, we covet. How many, the, the, the 10 commandments say, thou shalt have no other gods before me. How many of us have ever prioritized anything besides God in our life, right? That we've placed something above God in our hearts. Hey, we've all done that which means we are all sinners. And if we are all sinners, then we all deserve the punishment from our sin. We have a sin problem. And unless our sin problem is solved, unless our sins are forgiven and removed, then John 3.16 says, we will perish. Now, everybody loves to quote John 3.16 and talk about, hey, God so loved the world. We all love to quote John 3.16 and say that God, you know, sent Jesus for eternal life. But Nobody really wants to quote John 3.16 and say, hey, here's why you need eternal life. Here's why you need the forgiveness of your sins. It's because we're all perishing. God gave Jesus so that we don't have to perish. And instead, we can have eternal life. Which, of course, leads to the question like, do you have eternal life? Have you received the gift of eternal life? Who's it for? Who can have it? Again, John 3.16 answers that question for us. Who can have the gift of eternal life? John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes. I want you to hear this today. The gift of eternal life, the gift of Jesus Christ was for whoever. 
It's for anyone who would believe. Now you might say anyone, like anyone can really have it because I think a lot of times people in our world, they think like, well, good people. God might just accept good people. I want you to know the scripture says that anyone can have it. It's for whoever, the man in this room who's the worst sinner, the woman in this room who's the furthest thing from a saint, right? The, the person with the most regrets, the individual who has the greatest struggles, like eternal life is for anyone. It's for whoever. So, If eternal life is really for whoever, does that mean that that everyone is saved? Does that mean that everyone's sins are forgiven? No. There is a response that is required. And again, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you want the gift of eternal life, if you don't want to perish, then you must believe. You must believe. And even when I say you must believe, like you, you need to understand what the Bible means by believe. Because uh, when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, it's not talking about like believing in him like the way you would believe in like Abraham Lincoln or somebody like that. He came, he became a great leader. He did some good stuff and you know, the slaves got freed. And yeah, I believe that, uh, I believe that he was a good guy who did some good things, right? That's not the Bible is not calling you to simply believe that, that a man named Jesus existed and he did some good things. That's not what this type of belief means. It's Christmas season right now. You know, we, we talk about belief all the time. Uh, when Christmas season rolls around, we might say, you know, I'm, I'm believing for a a white Christmas this year, you know, and if you're a kid in the room, I'm believing mom and dad are going to give me everything I asked for. If you're a parent in the room, I'm really believing that we're going to have a stress-free Christmas day tomorrow, right? Like what we really mean by that is we don't really think it's true. We just kind of wish it was true. And I want you to hear this from me. So many people in our culture, when it comes to Christmas, it's like they kind of give God a head nod, like, oh yeah, maybe you had a son and mm, it's a nice story. And yeah, you know, it's kind of to think about the fact that he might've grown up and and died for sinners. Like, let's, I'll give it a head nod. I kind of, I hope it's true. To believe in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you have this polite little pleasantry toward God. Like, yeah, it sounds like a good story. It doesn't mean that you just believe informationally like you might believe in any other great figure from history. What does it really mean to believe in Jesus Christ? Maybe the best way I can illustrate what true belief looks like is by telling you a story. Um, In the 1850s and 60s, there was a man named Charles Blondin. Maybe you've heard of him. He became popular. He was a Frenchman who was known for his outstanding tightrope walking skills. And in 1859, he became the first man to ever tightrope walk across the Niagara Falls. All right. Now, after that, here he is. After he did this for the first time, he kept repeating his tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. He would do things like more extreme each time. So like the next time uh, he did it, he would lay down in the middle of his rope and just lay down for a second and then get back up and finish his walk. And then the time after that, he would run across the rope both ways. And the time after that, he would walk backwards across. One time he pushed a wheelbarrow back and forth across. You know, another time he did somersaults all the way across. And still another time, he did backflips all the way across. 
There was actually a story too, one time, I thought this was funny, where he actually took like a little backpack with uh, some cooking utensils and a small like personal stove out there with him. And he actually, while tightrope walking, set up a little stove, got out his utensils, cooked himself an omelet, ate it, put his stuff away, and then finished his tightrope walk. Right? This guy, that's what he did. Now, he became really popular, and so people would start to take bets, like, you know, is uh, Blondin going to make it this time, across, back and forth, or not? And every once in a while, he would hear people making these bets, you know, and some people, of course, would be like, oh, yeah, I believe he can. I believe he can do it. And he would go up to those people and say, oh, you really think I can do it? Like, how about you let me carry you on my back? Of course, nobody took him up on it, except one guy. And the man that took him up on it was his manager, whose name was Harry Calcord. And on August 15th, 1859, Calcord jumped on Blondin's back and together they crossed the 1300 foot expanse above the icy waters of the Niagara Falls. Guys, that is what true belief looks like. It looks like taking your life and placing it, resting your eternal hope and security upon Christ. In other words, if you want eternal life, you stop trusting yourself. You you realize there's no way that I can kind of walk the right way in order to get me from hell to heaven. The only way that I can do that is by joining my life to Christ in faith. So when it comes to Jesus, there must come a time where you believe in the sense of you're saying, yes, I believe in the facts that Jesus is the son of God, that he came and lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, not to pay for his own sins, but to pay for my sins. And and so now, because I believe in those facts, I place my life in his hands. I, I can't make it from hell to heaven on my own. I can't receive eternal life in my own works. I give my life to you, Jesus. I place my life in your hands. You are my king. You are my Lord. I want you as my savior. Step by step, day by day, we trust our life to our perfect Savior. God's life-giving love is for all who truly believe in Jesus. So here's the big question for you today. Everybody in this room, have you believed in Jesus? Have you believed in Christ? And not, again, not have you just affirmed the factual information and history about him, that he was here, that he died, and that he rose again. Not just that. Satan believes that. The devils believe that. Demons believe that. But they don't surrender to him as king and Lord. So have you believed in Christ and trusted your life to him? And when you do, you will receive his life-giving love, the gift of eternal life. Have you received that gift of eternal life? Because what a gift, Right? What a gift. God gave his son's life so that you can have eternal life. It's, it's a gift that God offers to the world because he loves the world. Oh, the wonders of his love, you know, his life-giving love. So everybody who's here tonight, if you, if you will, or if you're listening at home right now on the live stream, if you will, just take a moment and pause and Reflect with me on this. If you wouldn't mind, if you're in the room, just kind of bowing your head right where you are, closing your eyes. I want to ask you to just take a moment of prayerful reflection. And I want you to consider like where you really stand when it comes to your belief in Christ. 
In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to identify um, with either an A, a B, or a C. Which one reflects you, A, B, or C? A means I've already believed in Christ. I've already accepted him as my Savior. That's what it means to be in the A category. To be in the B category means that you're believing tonight. Like maybe you've never entrusted your life to Christ before, but tonight you believe. Tonight you entrust your life into the hands of Christ your Savior. That's what it means to be a B. And then a C means you're considering it, right? You're thinking about it. You're, maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you have doubts. You're not necessarily ready to cross the line of faith tonight, but you're thinking about it. Because I know that some of you have been listening to this message and I believe that God's word never comes back empty. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit will be speaking to some people's heart this evening. I believe that God wants to speak to us tonight because many of you believe in God. That's, that's why you would come to this church service. That's why you celebrate Christmas. But if I asked you to characterize God, like what, if I asked you to describe God, how would you answer? I think there's some people in this room tonight who would say things like, oh, I believe he's perfect and holy and all powerful and all knowing. But here's what I want you to know tonight. God is loving do you know that God loves you? That's really the question. Do you know that God loves you? Because maybe some of you right now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe some of you would hear and you would say, I don't, I don't feel loved at all. And you're going into this Christmas and you don't feel loved. You feel unloved. You feel used. You feel betrayed. You feel unwanted. Your parents may not have loved you. Your siblings your family that you're going to see later this week may not love you. You may wonder if your spouse or your children really love you, but here's one thing you never have to wonder about. You never have to wonder if God loved you. God loves you, and he proved it by sending Jesus who died for you to pay for your sins so that you can have eternal life. There is no greater gift that you could be given. So the question is, have you believed and have you received his life-giving love? So I want to ask you tonight, if you're in the category of A and you've already believed in Christ and he's your savior tonight, would you just mind right where you are just throwing your hand in the air and say, I'm already a believer and I am thankful to be saved and in God's family. Keep your hands up just for a moment. Amen. Praise the Lord. Almost, you know, so many hands up in the room. You can put your hands down. If you just raised your hand, here's your next step. Right now, I want to ask you, if you just raised your hand, I want to ask you, keep your heads bowed, keep your eyes closed, but pray. Pray for the people sitting around you. Pray for the people who are going to be here in the next service. Pray for the people who were here in the last service and heard the gospel. Pray for the people who are hearing the gospel in other churches all around the world this evening. If you're a believer, pray. Now, category B, you're the people who say, I've never trusted, I've never believed in Christ before. I've never trusted him in faith, but tonight I want him as my king, my Lord, my savior. Tonight I'm choosing to believe. I place my life in his hands. If that's you tonight and you would say, tonight I believe in Christ as my savior. Would you just keep, put your hand up right now, right where you are. Don't be shy. Keep your hand up high. I see one of your hands right here in front of me. Another one in the back right in front of me. To my right in the back. I see your hand there. I want to say to you guys who just raised your hand, here's your next step. You can put your hands down. Here's your next step. If you raised your hand saying, tonight I believe, 
I want you to find somebody tonight and just tell them, hey, tonight I placed my faith in Jesus. Tonight I believed and received the gift of eternal life. That is your response. Tell somebody. And then there's a third category of people in this room tonight. It's those in the C category. You're considering the faith. You're considering your belief in Christ. You you, you, maybe you have doubts or questions or fears about thinking about becoming a Christian and giving your life to Christ, but you're considering it. If that's you tonight and you're in the C category, would you raise your hand as well? Just right where you are. Keep it up high. I see two on my right, about three or four to my left in front of me. Thank you guys for raising your hands. You can put them down. I want you to hear this from me. If you're in the C category and you just raised your hand, I want you to know I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you this week because I know that sometimes it's hard to cross that line of faith. It's hard to make that decision to believe and surrender and repent and give your life to Christ. But I want you to know God loves you. And he proved it by sending Jesus for you. You can trust him. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for bringing everybody out to this service tonight. Thank you for those that are listening online. I want to praise you most of all for the greatest gift that was given to us on the first Christmas morning, the gift of Christ. And I want to pray now, Lord, that the people in this room tonight would rejoice in the gift of Christ, that we would not miss the true meaning of Christmas amid all the American hype and festivities. But Lord, would you make this church full of people who have been humbled and put in awe by the fact that you would love this unlovely world full of unlovely people like us. We praise you that it's in your nature to love. Thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tonight we're going to end our service with uh, the special tradition of the lighting of the candles. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask um, some of my candle helpers to make their way forward in just a minute. And they're going to light their Christmas candles and they're going to take them back to their seats so you can light yours and pass it forward to your neighbors. Which by the way, when we light our candles in just a moment, let me just give you a little tip. If your candle is lit, hold it upright. If it's not lit, then you kind of turn yours over and, and uh, light yours that way. It'll help save uh, a lot of spilled wax. <laughs> um, but as we do this, in just a moment, this, the lights are going to go down in this room and our, our room is going to be filled with these little lights. And as we sing, may our little lights that are shining remind us of our responsibility and our privilege to carry the love of Christ out into the broken world. So if you're going to help me, if I've asked you to help me with uh, the lighting of the candles, I want to ask you to meet me right down in the front of the stage right now. So parents, you can send your kiddos on up this way if they've come. You guys can meet me right up here. All right, guys. I'm going to light mine, and then you can light yours right off of mine, okay? And again, as we get ready to sing and worship the Lord together, as we hold these candles, let's remember that we who know Christ, we who have believed, we carry the light of his love in our hearts. And our dark and broken world needs to see the light of Christ in our lives. His power and his glory we evermore proclaim. Uh, that's kind of what we're symbolizing here with 
our light shining in the darkness, his power, his glory, his love that fills our lives. It's a light that goes into this dark world that we carry with us through Christ. If tonight the Lord has been speaking to your heart and there's something that you would like to talk or pray about, I'll be right down here in the front. Afterwards, I would love to talk or pray with you. Just make your way forward when we dismiss. For the rest of you, when you leave, um, please make sure you take your candles and you put them back uh, in the same areas where you pick them up on your way in. And Of course, uh, we have our services tonight, but we'd love to see you back next Sunday in our morning services at 9 o'clock or at 1045 a.m. But for tonight, Merry Christmas.